This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Sweet tarts dared to combine sweet and tart, but we didn't stop there. We combined soft and bouncy to bring you new sweet tarts, gummies, fruity splits, a uniquely delicious dual-sided gummy with one side that's sweet and one side that's tart, but entirely smooth and squishy. Mmm, a powerfully perfect combo. Sweet tarts, dare to combine. Welcome to the BBC Good Food Podcast with me, Orlando Murrin. In this episode, I have the pleasure to be speaking to Rukmini Ayer, about her favourite dish. Now, Rukmini, you kind of tumbled into food and cooking, didn't you? It wasn't your first choice of career. It wasn't my first choice of career, but then my first choice of career wasn't really a choice either. It was more, I don't know what to do with myself. So uh, it, it's good I got it right the second time. Are you happy to be in food now? I'm delighted to be in food now, <laughs> yeah, rather, I know. I rather hope so. Rukmini is very, very well known to, I'm sure, lots of our listeners because she's the author of the very successful Roasting Tin series, which has really uh, sold so well over Britain and probably the world. We've got international editions as yes, well. Yes, yeah, we've got international editions, um, Dutch, Russian, American, French, Spanish, uh, yeah, and, and you can you check you proofread all those, do you? In the different oh my languages, gosh, no, they go they send them to me, and I'm just like, yes, the layout looks lovely, but I can't read any of this. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the pivotal moment that kind of projected you into food as opposed to law or something else? Oh, well, I was in law before. You were, was, you were actually working in law. Yes, yeah, I was a trainee solicitor. I did my conversion course, all the rest of it, and I just think I was sitting at my desk, feeling, you know. I, I just hate my job. And a, and a friend sent me an um, uh, application form for MasterChef and sort of, well, you should do this. And I was like, well, I'm terribly bored sitting here and I don't really want to read this contract. So very naughtily sitting at my work desk, I filled in this application, which was just sort of a, a love letter to food. And like, I hate my life. I love food so much. Then I didn't think of it again for months. And in that time, I'd done some real thinking. I just want to be in food. Spoken to my mum. We just we chatted about it and we put down a deposit for cookery school. And like, I'm, I'm not going to qualify. All right, I will qualify and immediately go to cookery school. And the next day after we put our deposit down, I got a call from MasterChef saying, you know, we'd like you to audition. And I just had a good feeling about it. So we put, we put cookery school back a term and I went and did some filming. 
We should probably just explain to our listeners what a food stylist does because it's yes. so puzzling that the whole how food photography gets put together. So, I can know. you just tell us briefly what a food stylist did, does? Because that's before you wrote recipes, you were a food stylist. Yes, exactly. So, a food stylist. So, every time you see a photograph of food on a billboard, on a bus stop, on the side of a, a, a well, I was going to say on a bus again. I'm just seeing a bus theme here. In a cookbooks, food magazines like BBC Food, there's always someone who cooked it. And I think before I think, oh, Oh, it's a Jamie Oliver recipe. He must have cooked it. And it's like, no, of course not. He's terribly busy. He's got an army of food stylists. And, you know, food stylist is someone who's employed to cook for a photography shoot, uh, make the food look really nice, make you want to eat it or, or buy it. And, you know, unbeknownst to me for about 30 years, that is a, it's a, it's a career. I had no idea. Um, and there's a fantastic amount of skill in getting food looking perfect for photography. And it's not that it's not that you're faking it. You're not you're, no, not, you're no. not using plastic hamburgers instead of hamburgers. <laughs> but you are cooking it with extreme care and with a very careful eye, aren't you? Yes, you are. I think so. The, the key thing about it is you've, you've got to be a good cook. You've got to be um, a a very You've got to have a varied skill set as a cook because say I was coming to, to BBC Good Food and doing a, a shoot for you. I don't know if it's going to be a feature on Thai food. I don't know if it's going to be pies, exquisite cakes, multi-lead cakes. You have to be very sort of multi, have 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 the ability to do whatever your client asks you to. Um, and of course, if your client asks you to do something that's outside your skill set, you're going to make a little stab like, can I really do this or do I need to pass it on to someone else? And most of the time, like, no, I can do it. I can I can definitely do this. Are there any types of cooking that you would prefer not to be asked to do the food styling for? Well, I did get asked to do um, a MasterChef book, which was The Professionals Doing Beautiful Food. And it's with a photographer I know really well, David Loftus, who's shot all of my books. And it was, you know, that sort of intricate, beautiful the food that looks like art on a plate. Um, restaurant finish. Restaurant finish. Yeah. And I just mm. thought, you know what? A lot of clients who approach me say, like, we love that your food looks so like approachable and like anyone could make it. I'm like, yes, I do rustic. I do rustic food. And in the end, I, um, I said, you know, I'm going to need an assistant and, you know, I'll need a bit of help with the shoot. And amazingly, we managed. I mean, I looked at the recipes and I thought, you know, it's going to take a long time, you know, when each dish has got sort of seven or eight components and a little foam and a little round bits and pieces, gels. It, it was really difficult, but I was very proud when we did it. And I thought, you know, that really does look like a chef might have made it. I thought you were going to say that you decided not to do that, but, no. but you actually you actually went uh, through with it. Yeah. Only because I trust the photographer so much. I think yeah. if it was someone I never knew, I'd think I, they're going to think I'm a fraud. You know, there's a, a lot of that. You know, everyone's going to think you're a total you know, idiot who can't do anything. And with that shoot, I was just comfortable with the team because it's all about teamwork. You know, you're working with a photographer for every shoot. You're working with prop stylists. And when you come together, it's a lovely working environment. It's only very occasionally you go on. You think I should have stuck with law. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to I want to step back now and learn about your food background, yes. the food that you ate as a child, and the reason that you are have chosen your favourite dish today. Yes. Uh, well, I uh, grew up in a house. My, my mum is uh, Bengali. My dad is South Indian. They came here um, a few years before I was born, probably in the late 70s, when the NHS was recruiting a lot of doctors from India. Um, so I grew up with really interesting, varied food. You know, Bengali food one night, South Indian food one night. But my mum's a really sort of open and experimental cook. So we would have lots of Western dishes. She'd be cooking from Linda McCartney's books, clipping out recipes from magazines, Sunday supplements. Um, so... 
I would say, I kind of had the best of all the worlds, all the stuff that kids grew up in the 80s eating, as well as this really nice Indian heritage food. I love the idea of having all those mixed food cultures all going on in one household. Yeah. And when we asked you about some of the things that you had learned, one of the things that you mentioned was browning the onions properly for curries. Yes. Now, what have I been doing wrong? No, <laughs> I'm r- sure you right. do it already. Um, I think it's just, um, you know, if you're cooking uh, a casserole, what you want is melting onions. So your heat's not, you've got the foaming butter, you, you put your onions in, you cook it, you might even put a cartouche, uh, like a piece of folded greaseproof paper on top, just so your onions get very mellow and soft. So that's what you do for casserole. Maybe a little bit of colour, but not too much colour. For curry, the first thing you have to do as a kid learning how to cook a curry is you stand there because you have to keep stirring. Uh, you're stirring and stirring the onions over a sort of medium heat until they're really lovely and golden. So not burnt. And someone once said, oh, golden's the way to describe it. And it's like, well, it's not exactly brown-brown and it's not exactly pale. I think golden's a really good way to go for how brown the onions are. Um, and that is the sort of lovely sort of you're getting that lovely Maillard reaction. You've got that base for your curry that is going to give the flavour to it. So that's your first building block. And the Maillard reaction, we should probably explain to those listeners who don't know about it. <laughs> it's that, that magic thing that happens when you brown food, brown yes. onions and meat and yes. fish. Yeah, that it? searing that you it's, get. I think it's actually the sugar in the food. Oh, that's caramelising. That's yeah. caramelising. Oh, that makes total sense. And so uh, that's what... it it cranks up the flavour and gives that kind of nutty yumminess, doesn't it? Does, it? But really it's called, does. called the Maillard reaction. Yes. I only read about it in one of Heston Blumenthal's books. Before that, I was like, oh, I think, you know, a bit like um, salt, fat, acid, heat. You're like, yes, I kind of thought that instinctively, but I hadn't put it in words. And then you're like, oh, there is a thing to describe this thing that makes food delicious, which is... Um, now, your dish is a rice dish. Yes. It's a cashew nut Pilau rice. Now, how how would you like to say pilau? Because you've spelt it differently from... You, I often see it as P-I-L-L-A-U, and you spelt it P-U-L-A-O. We're talking about the same thing. We are definitely talking about yeah. the same. It's just in my family, we always pronounce it pilau rice. Pilau. Pilau. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know. I, I, I'm guessing it probably depends which region of India you come from. And written down, I, you're right, I don't often see it spelled like that because that's how we say it. That's oh, how I wrote you, it down. You can, spell, you can spell it how you like. I, I love that. I love it. Spell it there. And this is your mother's recipe. Yes, it's my mum's recipe. It's very nice. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal. So why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cash back rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. 
You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Um, uh, how uh, can you take us through it? Do you, uh, not yes. in detail. Not in detail at this point. But yeah. but what's the basic structure of the recipe? So a pulau rice is a lovely sort of festival kind of rice that you make. You make it for a special occasion, uh, and with this dish, it's basically you um, you fry in butter the cashew nuts, which smells amazing. You know, frying anything in butter. Uh, so is they're the, the raw cashew raw nuts. Raw cashew nuts. Yeah. No, oh god, not yeah. roasted or with that dreadful sort of seasoning on. That's that no. stuff. Is, that's kind of stuck Smoke on. Smoke stuff. I, I oh, think they must horrible. spray that on, don't you think? I really, it's powdered yeah. spray, it's spray powder. Very unpleasant, yeah. isn't it? No, lovely raw cashew nuts. Uh, fry them in butter with a whole garam masala. So a whole garam masala is black cardamom pods, cinnamon sticks, uh, cloves, and a bay leaf. Um, and that makes... Oh, so these are the you put in the whole spices, whole spices. Uh, rather than the ground up garam masala. No, ground garam masala is what you use to finish a dish yeah. off. Whole garam masala you use at the beginning in the butter to season from the base. You upwards. see, listeners, there's so much to learn from these podcasts. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> I know about whole garam masala. I'd never heard of that yeah, before. So yeah. that's fantastic. I'm completely with you. Yeah, it's it's really tasty. Um, so your kitchen starts smelling amazing immediately. Now, if you're going to do this traditionally, you would then take some raw basmati rice, start frying it up in the butter. Add a few more spices, so ground coriander. I think my mum says no to ground cumin, but I just add a bit of ground cumin. Tiny bit of turmeric if you want it. It's optional. A bit of salt. The turmeric would make it a bit yellow and a add bit a, bit, yellow. a bit of warmth. But, but... Do you know what? My family would cook with the tiniest pinches of turmeric, probably because my granddad was against too much turmeric. Interesting. So that's a family tradition. Family and your tradition. mother mother is not keen on cumin? Or, I, I or always is... forget when I make this if she adds cumin to the rice or not. I think she probably only adds a bit of ground coriander, freshly ground coriander. Not, I have a real antipathy towards bought ground coriander. And do you grind that in a pestle. coffee coffee grinder or, or pestle, she does pestle it, mortar? She does it in a coffee grinder. I do it in a pestle and mortar right. because I don't mind those little bits. You know, I just think when you freshly grind coriander seeds, you get all those lovely floral, almost orangey notes. And when you buy ground coriander, it just smells like despair. It's very, very sad. <laughs> smells like smells despair. like despair. <laughs> if you like, you know, odor despair. Um, so yeah, never use that. Bin it if you've got it. Just you know, it's, it takes two seconds to do the the little seeds from whole, and it will make such they a difference. They will go to through a pepper grinder, you know. No, they definitely well. will. You can yeah, put them in a normal pepper grinder, take out your pepper. Yeah, if you don't yeah. The pepper or in a mix, mix of pepper. And, yeah. yeah, why not? Yeah, I hadn't realised about this, but um, some pepper grinder manufacturers told me, you know, you can use coriander in your grinder. Oh, so very I've, good. I've been trying it. Excellent. I could buy a new one, couldn't I? A new grinder Spe- just for... You could do that. Yes, on the Christmas I've got list. One, I've got one for nutmeg. And I, You've which got one is for just for nutmeg? For nutmeg, <laughs> where you, you kind of prong it and then you twist it. And so you can get fresh nutmeg at the twist of a thing. And and one for cinnamon. But this is an <laughs> awful lot of that's kit. That's really extra of you. Well, we all like kit. <laughs> Don't we like kit in our kitchen? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so we've got the rice... The, have we got the rice in with with or without the cumin when we... We're, so we're, you've got the... Debate. So this is method one, which is put put the rice in raw, stir fry it with... I'm going to check my actual recipe, which I've sent you, but then we can confirm whether mum has the cumin or not. Stir fry it with those, add the correct amount of water, bring it up to the boil, lid on, heat right down, and then don't open the lid. Because absorption method, this is the other thing, apart from browning the onions, 
My mum taught me, never lift the lid to check if the rice is done before the appointed time because you're ruining the steam process. There's this problem that we have, and I'm not the only one, I can't possibly be the only one, which is that you you add the water, you put your lid on, I'm completely with you, we turn our heat to low. But what if we turn it without looking? How do we know that it's even on at all, the heat? Um, roughly speaking, <laughs> do you see what I mean? Do you mean the gas? Well, I I'm, I'm have an induction hob, ah. so I turn it down to, I can turn it down to one, one. Even half, mm. but that would be too low, wouldn't it? I think one's probably one. fine. Yeah. But if you were to look, you wouldn't want it to be boiling, would you? If you, you what did you want look. is to to the, the bubbles will be breaking the surface, and it will be just like this, like a simmer almost. A very very gentle, a very simmer. gentle simmer. So how would we mend with a glass lidded pan? Would we be quids in? No, I've tried that with a glass lid, but it steams up. Oh, so you're, you're, what, whatever, whatever you do, oh, you're going to lose. You just have to trust the process. <laughs> <laughs> trust Rook Mini. Trust That's the what you do. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'm going to say this is not how I make my pilau rice, the way I've just told you, because absorption rice is fine. You'll get a good result if you've followed the instructions, and not lifted the, the lid, measured the water, yeah. but you get soggy cashew nuts, which is not what you want. Right. It's traditional to have the soggy nuts, but I don't want them. What uh, you want to have is... I think, lovely sort of like crisp cashews through the rice, in which case we our traditional family method is we cook the rice in the microwave. Fantastic. Yes. Love this. Modern. Modernization. Modernization. You get perfect basmati rice every single time. And it's a really similar proportion. It's 200 grams of rice, 400 ml of boiling water. Put them in a large microwavable dish that you can fit a plate or a lid over. Put a plate under it in case of any bubbling up. Microwave, 11 minutes on medium. And then let it stand for 10 minutes. So if I've got, would that be like 70% of my microwave? Yeah, if my microwave doesn't have a medium, but it's got like a thousand watt, 800, so we do it on 800. I've got 900 or 700, so I've done 700, okay. These small things matter. They wouldn't matter if you did it the whole time, but we want it to be the first time for people, (laughs) don't we? Absolutely, yes. Well, it's just you, when you do this method with the rice, what you get, which is what I want from basmati, is perfectly separate grains. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I, if it's sticky rice, for me, that's that's kind of like not really Indian rice. I think and I want like Thai sticky rice or coconut rice. For this, every grain of rice is separate and perfect, which means when you've lifted the lid after the standing time, you stir it through your cashews, then you do the spices. It just means it's it's always going to turn out exactly how you want it. And does it, how long... When you've stirred the things in, will it sit for before serving it? Do, do oh, you need to serve you can, it immediately? Yeah, I'd serve it fairly soon after, but you can yeah, pop the lid we're on. we're still trying to get the nut, keep the nuts crisp. Yeah, I mean, you, you, if you turn off the heat and stick the lid on, serve it within half an hour. Yeah. 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 And you say this is a, a celebration dish. What kind of celebration would it be part of? Oh, um, birthdays, Diwali. I have had this, or I, my mum, you know, every year, what would you like to eat for your birthday this year? And every single year, this is on the menu. And would you have other things with it? Oh, yes, yeah. So so is it an accompaniment or is it like a a main event? (laughs) For me, rice is always a main event. Um, And if I, when I was living alone, I would sometimes make this and just have it for dinner myself. But I, I recognise not everyone thinks rice is a main event. It might be a cultural thing. I think it's incredible stuff when you look at it. Oh, they're, they're so beautiful, the grains of rice. And someone, mm. has, someone has got them from somewhere, got <laughs> them into a packet, all <laughs> gleaming and clean uh, and hand tidy. Polished. Hand polished. I mean, it's, it's incredible food stuff, isn't it? I, Wonderful. I, it's, I can't bear to wait... 
the thought of people just chucking away the end of a pack or something would break no, my heart. No, no. such wonderful stuff, isn't it? Absolutely. I write about this a little bit in my new book because my mum's from Bengal and my dad's from South India. They're both rice-growing regions and they're known for it throughout India to the extent that when my sister was doing some work in Delhi, you know, people are like, oh, where are you from? Oh, my mum's Bengal and my dad's South India. They're like, ah, you must eat a lot of rice. Oh. <laughs> it's that kind of opening gambit. So, so they, it's precious, precious to them because In they know how, how much yeah. work goes into it. And what dishes would you serve if you weren't having it as your main event alongside or around this? Oh, really simple things. I mean, you could just serve it. You could serve it with a fried egg and some wilted greens. Um, I, you could do quite an easy sort of broccoli stir fry with some mustard seeds, a little bit of salt, some lemon juice, um, or any curry. Obviously, it would go alongside I've, when I when I wasn't a pescatarian I would make it with a chicken curry cat, um, chickpea curry anything really it's a great accompaniment to whatever you're having and it wouldn't be insulting to the pulau yeah. to have something alongside it sharing that sharing honor of being on the <laughs> table no I no I don't think so I think the only thing was I would find it a bit weird when I served it with a chicken curry because at home we were vegetarian and somehow I'd have the both things on a plate, say, if I was having friends around. I'd be like, this, is, this feels a little off to me, serving it with chicken, because I didn't eat it with chicken growing up. But um, now we've gone back to the... Uh gone back to chickpeas at home so it's all normal again <laughs> <laughs> and you're pescatarian so yes. is that a new thing or have you always been i've been vegetarian on and off since i was 11 um and it was only at university actually i started eating meat again because my um interested in food my flatmates were cooking it um my friend laura still thinks she tests so she's a, a doctor lives in uh, nottingham she tests loads of my recipes for me like all my friends do um, especially because she's got kids so it really she's my target market in a way so if she likes a recipe and can fit it into her day it's great and I remember her saying Minnie I, li I literally cannot believe you've written all these food books and now you're you know a, a food writer do you remember when we were in Edinburgh and you were making fajitas with me and you'd cut up the chicken like I asked you to you'd started stir frying it and then you said Laura, Laura, the, the chicken's going white around the edges. What's happening? It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, yeah, so that was my introduction to how to fry chicken. <laughs> how, how sweet. <laughs> um, so you're, you have a network of friends and neighbours or whatever cooking who help you to test your recipes, do you? Yes, they yeah. won't test them, do you? Yeah. We all have different arrangements, recipe writers, for, for the testing, don't it's so we? so helpful, isn't it? Because yeah. if you know you like it and it works in your oven, I mean, obviously, I'm sure you have as well professional testers, and that's brilliant feedback because they can be very harsh uh, but what you also want is a regular person cooking in their regular home fitting it in in their oven that might be a bit temperamental and it's so valuable I think the really good recipe writers do insist on a road a road test with a member of the public yeah. of some kind yeah. whether yeah. it's their mother or auntie or a yeah. friend or, yeah. or a mixture of these people yeah. and a lot of people have kind of networks of people yes. that, that, and, um, and we don't we don't always have to pay them for their ingredients or anything no, because yeah. they're going to eat dinner anyway. So <laughs> exactly, they'd like to eat, exactly. if they like cooking, yeah. they might want to cook one of our dishes. It's <laughs> an interesting kind of in the background of, re of food writing, which not many people think about. Yes, yeah. Um, now, I've got an email list going. So every new book, I send a list of all the recipe titles to my list of um, friends and family. And then they just pick out, oh, can I have number 75? Can I have number 34? And I'll send the recipes out as Excellent. requested. <laughs> I think that's technically called crowd testing yes. nowadays. Um, <laughs> so with your recipe, we do need, it does need to be basmati rice. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yes, it Fantastic. needs to be basmati. And any variations and twists on yes. this? Well, I think, you know, 
this is the thing I love about a dish like this. There are so many variations. You know, if you wanted to do a very simple, straightforward one, you go, well, I'm going to put some saffron in, leave out the ground spices. I'll put almonds in instead of cashew nuts. Do you nuts. toast your saffron or just sprinkle it in? On, uh, on? No, I would um, put it in some hot milk, tiny, a uh, little bit of hot milk, let it steep for a little bit, and then just stir the hot milk with the saffron through. And um, my friend Ruby Tander actually has a really good tip. She said, you can bully saffron. So when you put it in the hot milk and you're like, oh, it's let off a bit of colour after 10 minutes, get the back of a spoon and start mashing the strands against the side of the mug. Right. And it lets off colour like a sort of sunburst. It's wonderful. And you get, you know, more flavour and colour. bullying. Saffron, bully, I love bully that. Bully the saffron. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> and you can, change, you can change the nuts around. For... Yeah, change the nuts. I mean, actually, one of my totally favourite left field ones is um, I'll fire off some Sichuan peppercorns uh, in butter uh, with pine nuts uh, and lemon verbena, which I grow now. Gosh. Fresh lemon verbena. Yeah. That stirred through the hot basmati rice, bit of salt. It's delicious. That's way out. That's not from any cuisine, is it? That's a Rukmini original. It is an original, <laughs> yes. And I don't think it's been published, so you can have that one. So, so. <laughs> you mentioned in Senate, you dropped in by accident that your friend called you Mini. Are we yes. allowed to call you Mini? Of course, you're very welcome to. <laughs> <laughs> if you have leftovers, yes. um, any clever ideas for those? Leftover rice? Uh, leftover pulao, specifically. Oh, I think leftover pulao you just have as is. But I'd say making a pulao uh, with uh, leftover heat, heat, rice. Heat it up. Oh, it God, up. yeah. You're yeah. Gonna, it's going to yeah. be absolutely piping hot. But making a pulao is a great thing to do with leftover white rice. I mean, traditionally, if you're making fried rice, it's with yesterday's rice. So as long as you've you know refrigerated it really quickly after cooking it, um, you make it piping hot, it's fine the next day. Yeah, people get very worried about rice, but it's, it's fine if you do it according to the book, which, according just to, to repeat what Minnie said, you <laughs> cool it down as fast as you can, and then you keep it for maximum Fridge. a day, I think. A day, I wouldn't keep it longer than that. And no. then you get it piping hot when you cook it. Um, now, BBC Good Food is running a campaign to save mm. our Sunday lunches yes. because we really want people to enjoy and to continue to enjoy yes. a Sunday lunch in these times when, you know, life can feel as if it's falling to bits rather. Yes. So what is a mini Sunday lunch like? <laughs> well, everything, our schedule's a little bit mad now. We've recently had a baby, so she's 10 months old. Um, so 10 months old. 10 months old, And yes. the name? Alba. Alba, yeah. what a lovely name. Oh, she's she's a lovely little girl. But our, our Sundays aren't as regular as they used to be. It might just be catching up on sleep or taking turn, taking <laughs> shifts to, to, to catch up on sleep. But when we do have people around, you know, when I wasn't veggie, we do a roast chicken, roast potatoes. Actually, Tim's mum has a Sunday roast dinner club every week. Oh, so they, they group up, they, they get together. And... Yeah, so when I say it's a club, I think it's just her doing all the cooking, really. <laughs> um, but she they live in Cornwall and... Honestly, she just produces the most amazing roast dinner on a Sunday with no notice. I mean, it feels to me. And people just sort of drop in, like all her family comes, any friends who are about, waifs and strays. And the table is just laden every single week. And when we went for Christmas, I was just like, well, this is easy for you, isn't it, Fleur? Because, you know, you're, you're you know, doing this every single week, making this amazing spread. Well, if you do cook the same thing again and again, it, it can become incredibly easy and natural. Yeah. And you get all the shortcuts. And she has a few ovens. A few ovens. Yeah. Oh. And you can you can interweave the work because you just know what's going <laughs> yes. on the whole time. Exactly. It's why restaurant chefs get so fantastic at their dishes because they've just made it so many times. They yes. know exactly how to get it perfect and, and the things in the method that don't matter and the things that, that really do. They, <laughs> yes. It's just repetition, I think, sometimes, isn't yes. it? Yes. And it's not great for the chef because chefs have a very hard, <laughs> tough life. Of course. But the result is, you know, amazing for yes. the for the customer. 
Um, now, I've got some quick-fire questions. Okay, we okay, ask okay. all our guests these quick-fire questions. Um, you don't have to think about them. In okay. fact, I won't let you think about okay. them. Okay. So, your most well-thumbed cookery book? Nikki Sagnet's A Flavour Thesaurus. You're not the first person to have said that. I'm a recipe writer. Every recipe writer will probably say that. Do you know if Nikki Segnet knew how loved she was, we'd have to tell. We'd have to get Nikki Segnet on the show. You must get to her, tell on. her. She's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, she's just written. Oh no, I'm not allowed to say. I'm so sorry. I'm going to. Oh, that. don't you love that, listeners? Listeners, you, listeners, listen you didn't out. hear that. Listen out. <laughs> um, so, what music do you cook to? Oh, Taylor Swift. I have terrible taste in music. So, yeah, I'm, yeah I don't know. Well, thank you for being honest about it. Oh, I mean, yeah, anything really. I'd listen to Lucia de Lamamor if I'm feeling particularly down, uh, but otherwise it's Taylor. Fantastic. <laughs> um, a great cheap eats restaurant or pub or market? Definite cheap eats. Dumplings legend in Chinatown. You can sort of eat as many dumplings as you can. And I really just feel like the bill is always extraordinary. Like, have they given me the right bill? How is it only fifteen pounds? I've been eating dumplings for two hours. How many? What's your maximum dumpling you know, consumption? I, I lose count. I lose count. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a bit sad now that uh, being pesky it means I can't have all the pork and prawn things. But I, I just go in there and oh, it's it's so so tasty. Um, you can have the prawn ones. All the prawn you? ones. Oh, yeah, all yeah, prawn yeah. ones. Yeah. Um, something that's always in your fridge: lemons, limes, kimchi. Fantastic. Kimchi, you keep that on the go. I keep it. I need to make some, you know, because it's ruinous to my wallet to buy some at the farmer's market every week. You know, it's a tiny, it's a tiny jar. It's about seven pounds. No, I need, for the amount of consumption, I need large jars I've made myself. Uh, now we've got to come to the confessions. Yes. Biggest cooking disaster. Um, Biggest cooking disaster. Would it have been that white chicken that I didn't know how to cook? <laughs> white and pink chicken? Well, you got through it. I got didn't through it. That you? was a learning experience. Yeah. yeah. Well, you probably haven't had any disasters because you cook for the photography, for the camera. You just make sure you never have any. Make sure it looks all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think probably uh, I made a cake for my mum when I was a teenager and um, I'd covered it in marzipan and all the rest of it. And it was only when we cut into it and we noticed this really weird, slightly greasy, holy texture. I'd forgotten to put any eggs in. So I think I did like <laughs> eggs, butter, flour, all the rest of it. And it was just very. Odd, an odd <laughs> biscuit. <laughs> now, if you'd road tested that recipe, that could never have happened, could it? No, I know, exactly. I think I was probably freestyling, freestyle a lot of cakes. <laughs> um, food you've never tried? Tripe. And are you looking forward to that? No, I will never. I, I just, <laughs> something that needs to be washed that many times before you can eat it, I'm not interested. And then finally, this is a, a warming question. Yes. Our last question. What makes you optimistic for the future? Oh, well, that will probably be my daughter, Alba, because I would want... You know, everything in society that you're worried about and that makes you a bit anxious, like I would want it all to be better for her. Uh, so she's my hope. That's lovely. Rukmini, what a lovely way to close our podcast. It's been an enormous pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much. And um, good luck with Alba well, and you. with your many next books. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs>